If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Chocolate can be your strength. I've been searching high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. So I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. But you need to eat five or more ordinary dark chocolate bars every day to match the flavanols consumed in most of these studies. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Cocoa Powder and beverages deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. I'm your host, Layla Mutin. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist here in New York City, available for consultation. If you would like to make an appointment, call the office, 212-779-1744. That's 212-779-1744. I wanted to expand a little bit on a question that I got from a listener from Beth that Dr. Hoffman and I already answered. I just wanted to delve a little deeper. And this is about thiamine. Beth says, I would appreciate having your nutritional expertise and guidance on thiamine. I'm coming across more and more articles about undetected thiamine deficiency or insufficiency being a key factor in many chronic illnesses. So those many chronic Ill illnesses, for example, we're seeing more and more Alzheimer's, right? It's a burgeoning epidemic. Uh, we call it diabetes of the brain, but here's the thing. A lot of things wipe out thiamine, including stress, including high blood sugar. And according to animal model studies, Thiamine deficiency may play a role in the development of Alzheimer's. So, for example, thiamine deficiency produces oxidative stress in neurons in our nerve cells, causes the death of those nerve cells, loss of memory, plaque formation. We're talking about those beta amyloid plaques in the brain that are a hallmark of Alzheimer's. And it causes changes in glucose metabolism. These are all markers of Alzheimer's disease. And autopsy studies have shown that transketolase and other thiamine-dependent enzymes have decreased activity in the brains of people, of those with Alzheimer's disease. Few studies have assessed the prevalence of thiamine deficiency in people with Alzheimer's. And one of those studies found that 13% of 150 patients with cognitive impairment 
and acute onset behavioral disturbances were considered thiamine deficient based on, based on plasma levels. So, you know, this is, this is very, very concerning. The proportion of people with type 1 or type 2 diabetes who have poor thiamine status ranges from 17 to 79 percent in studies conducted to date. In a study of 76 consecutive patients with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, for example, 8 percent had a mild thiamine deficiency and 32 percent had moderate deficiency. Some small studies have shown that oral supplementation with a range of 150 to 300 milligrams a day of thiamine can decrease glucose levels in patients with type 2 diabetes or impaired glucose tolerance. So this is, this is important stuff. A few randomized studies have assessed the effects of benfotiamine supplements on diabetic neuropathy. If you've got pain, tingling in your extremities, in your feet, your hands, benfotiamine is a form of thiamine that's beneficial for neuropathies. Three studies found that compared to placebo, 120 to 900 milligrams a day of benfotiamine with or without the other B-complex vitamins, decrease the severity of neuropathy symptoms. So, heart failure. The rates of poor thiamine status in patients with heart failure have ranged in studies from 21 to 98%. And now explanations for this association includes older age, comorbidities, insufficient dietary intake, treatment with diuretics, and a lot of hospitalizations. So other people who may be low in thiamine, people who have undergone bariatric surgery. Bariatric surgery for weight loss is associated with some risks. I see a lot of people who've had bariatric surgery, bariatric surgery, and are chronically deficient in things like iron. But we also see severe thiamine deficiency due to malabsorption. If you're going to remove a part of your stomach, intestines, etc., these are the areas where you absorb your nutrition. It stands to reason that there would be malabsorption, right? Now that could lead to beriberi, or Wernicke's, Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome. We see that a lot in alcoholics because alcohol really depletes thiamine status. So, and beriberi, it's characterized by peripheral neuropathies and wasting. And people with beriberi have impaired sensory, motor, and reflex functions. And in rare cases, beriberi causes congestive heart failure. You see the connection with thiamine deficiency? And that heart failure that leads to edema in the lower limbs and occasionally death. So administration of supplemental thiamine often 
quickly cures beriberi. So people with alcohol dependence, these are the people at risk. People who drink a lot, older adults, people with HIV or AIDS, people with HIV infection and incre have an increased risk of thiamine deficiency, including beriberi and Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome. Autopsies of 380 people with AIDS found that almost 10% had Wernicke's encephalopathy, and some experts believe that thiamine deficiency is underdiagnosed in this population. And the association between thiamine deficiency and HIV and AIDS is probably due to malnutrition as a result of the catabolic state associated with AIDS. So, Beth, this is very important about thiamine deficiency leading to these particular syndromes, symptoms, conditions. And when you look at the RDA for, you know, the recommended dietary allowance, it's quite low. And what I just read to you, therapeutic doses, 120 milligrams, 300 milligrams, up to 900 milligrams of benfotiamin. The recommended dietary allowance for an adult male and female is 1.2 milligrams and 1.1 milligram, respectively. Quite low. Again, it's so you don't become deficient in it, but I even think these are low. Where do we get thiamine? We get it from meat and fish. We get it from whole grains. Many of our foods, bread, cereals, infant formulas, these are all fortified with thiamine. So unfortunately, the biggest sources of, because of the fortification are breads and cereals, none of which I would recommend you eat, or at least not in abundance. So what other foods? You know, from a pork chop, three ounces, bone-in, broiled, you get 0.4 milligrams. In trout, in three ounces, 0.4 milligrams. Black beans, half cup, 0.4. Mussels, three ounces, 0.3. Bluefin tuna, three ounces, 0.2. I would recommend taking a B-complex. And for those of you with diabetes... I would certainly recommend taking, you know, taking a supplement. Definitely. I want to talk to you about the impacts on thyroid function. Now, we know the thyroid gland, the thyroid is a gland that secretes hormones. It plays a major role in regulating many of the body's processes, especially metabolism. So the maintenance of thyroid hormones, your thyroxin, which is T4, your triodothyronine is T3, is vital for overall health, T3 and T4. And dysfunction of thyroid hormone performance is quite common and can result in conditions like thyroiditis or hypothyroidism. Now, in the U.S., Low thyroid or hypothyroidism reportedly affects up to 10% of adults 
with a potentially higher prevalence in older populations. The autoimmune condition known as Hashimoto's thyroiditis is the most common type of hypothyroidism. I see this a lot in my practice. And it affects 1% to 2% of people in the U.S., most of them women. And in this disorder, a dysregulated immune response impairs the production of these thyroid hormones. And on the flip side of this is hyperthyroidism, which impacts about 1% of people in the United States, with women 2 to 10 times more likely to develop this condition. Graves' disease is the most common type of hyperthyroidism in the, in the United States. In this autoimmune disorder, autoantibodies activate the thyroid-stimulating hormone re- receptor, inducing too much thyroid secretion, a thyroid storm. My mother had Graves' disease while she was alive. So a low-functioning thyroid, how do you treat it? You take levothyroxine, uh, while with hyperthyroidism such as Graves, it's treated with antithyroid drugs or it's treated with radioiodine or potential surgery removing the thyroid. So what affects, what negatively affects thyroid health? Endocrine disruptors can have a potentially major impact on the function of thyroid. A 2021 investigation on endocrine disrupting chemicals, which are often found in foods, in food packaging, in our water, in our personal care products, indicated that these endocrine disruptors, such as BPA, that's bisphenol A, like in plastic, in phthalates, in a lot of products, in personal grooming products as well, and flame retardant compounds, including PCBs, these are polychlorinated biphenyls, PCBs, can interfere with thyroid gland gland function and thyroid hormones transport through many, many uh, mechanisms. So it influences gene expression, at the thyroid and pituitary levels, and the interruption of thyroid transport proteins. These are the mechanisms leading to thyroid dysfunction. Now, an additional study specific to phthalate exposure suggested that this toxicant may influence thyroid hormone levels through induced oxidative, or nitrosative stress. And observational studies have also noted a higher prevalence of autoimmune thyroid diseases in people living in polluted areas, near petrochemical plants, and in areas contaminated with PCBs or organochlorine pesticides. And other factors that may impact thyroid hormone balance include stress, as well as chronic inflammation. Impaired regulation of oxidative stress and inflammation characterizes the progression of subclinical hypothyroidism, which increases the risk of cardiovascular disease, 
including high blood pressure. And specific to thyroid hormone changes due to psychological stress, a 2020 systematic review of 10 observational studies over 674 subjects examined the association between thyroid function and post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And this analysis showed higher levels of free T3, that's that thyroid hormone in patients with combat-related PTSD compared with controls. Very, very interesting. So experts continue to make differing recommendations regarding the treatment of subclinical hypothyroidism and whether or not to give thyroid hormones, thyroid replacement therapy. And with this condition, TSH levels are elevated while circulating thyroid hormones are normal. Now, according to the American Association of Endocrinology, optimal TSH levels should be between 1 and 2. Some reports indicate that 90% of patients with subclinical hypothyroidism have a TSH level between 4 and 10. So, it's debated when to start giving thyroid replacement. But regardless of this, some functional medicine strategies may help with low-functioning thyroid issues by using low-risk diet and lifestyle treatments that can improve thyroid function by addressing the root of the issue. So, in addition to a comprehensive thyroid evaluation, consideration of an individual patient's specific disease, lifestyle, comorbidities, and other pertinent factors helps to create a valuable overview for how to potentially treat this person. So you want to think about what are the factors that inhibit the proper production of thyroid hormones. Is it your toxic exposures? Maybe you need to review your laundry detergents. Are you using fabric softeners and dryer sheets and laundry detergents full of perfumes and dyes? These are toxic exposures. Check the label of your hand lotion and body lotion and body wash and your soap, your shampoos, your conditioners, your makeup. Check all of those. You will find toxicants there. The factors that increase conversion of these thyroid hormones, there are many impacts from toxic exposures. And you wanted to know about factors that improve the cellular sensitivity to thyroid hormones. That includes anti-inflammatory diets, specific nutrients, optimizing gut and liver health. This is important stuff. You want, you want to look at all of that for restoring thyroid balance. Adequate intake and ava- availability of micronutrients like iodine and iron are crucial 
for thyroid hormone synthesis, while selenium and zinc are needed for the conversion of T4 to T3, which takes place primarily in the liver, but also in other organs, such as the intestines, as well as intracellularly. So where do you get iodine? Seafood, kelp, onions. Where do we get iron? We're talking about heme iron, animal protein. Selenium and zinc, primarily from animal protein as well as seafood. These are needed for the conversion. And guess what? There's a, you don't have to have, you don't have to be, uh, uh, you don't have to have anemia to have a low ferritin level. You don't just look at your hemoglobin and hematocrit levels on your complete blood count and decide, oh, I'm fine. There's a very valuable blood test called ferritin. That's how much iron you have in storage. This is a very important number. We used to think about if you, an iron, a ferritin of about 70 was enough to support thyroid. 40 to 70 was enough to support thyroid. Well, we found out recently it's not. You need a ferritin of 100. You need a ferritin of 100 to support thyroid. A note to my vegan, very vegetarian, but truly vegan uh, patients. You're not getting the amount of iron you need to support your thyroid. It's likely you're not getting a whole lot of zinc either. You could get your selenium, right? If you eat two Brazil nuts a day, right? So that you need for the conversion of T4 to T3. But we need a proper amount of iron. And the problem with taking iron supplements is it could cause some GI distress and constipation. That's why so many people don't like to take it. You want a proper diet, which includes adequate amounts of animal protein to support your thyroid. I can't tell you how many vegetarians, but particularly vegans I've seen, with underactive thyroid. And there's a reason for it when we look at all the deficiencies. And once those deficiencies are addressed, thyroid can start working more normally. Or maybe it's gone too far because it's been years and years and years of veganism, which is a problem because this can cause a lot of micronutrient deficiencies. You want to eat in a healthy, very balanced way for restoring your thyroid hormone balance. I want to thank you for joining me on another edition of Layla Weighs In here on Intelligent Medicine. This is Layla Mutin, RD. I see patients regularly along with Dr. Hoffman. If you require a nutrition consult with me but live out of town, there's no need to travel to New York City. I have telephone consultations with clients from all over the country. Please visit drhoffman.com for more information. And to set up an appointment, call 212 212- Seven seven nine one seven four four. That's two one two seven seven nine one seven four four. I look forward to being a collaborator in your healthcare.